Well, let me just once again welcome you to fellowship. If you are new uh, to fellowship, we're glad that you're here and hope that you have already been encouraged and blessed uh, by being a part of our service. And uh, we really do want you to know that we are glad that you're here and um, we believe that God has a purpose in you being here and that you'll, that he'll be, uh, has a desire to speak to you, uh, even through the, the songs we've been singing, time of communion, and now through the preaching of the word. And this is an important time for us, what we do right now as a church. We gather uh, and, uh, for worship, but we submit ourselves to the authority of scripture and the preaching of the word of God as part of our gathering. And I've been doing, uh, started an Advent series last week, God incarnate, uh, God in the flesh. What does, what does that mean? And so we've been, we've been talking about that, at least started that last week. I want to continue that today. And today we're going to be looking at humility made flesh. When God became human flesh, he revealed many, many truths to us, many things about himself to, uh, to us. And one of those was that humility itself was being revealed and being shown to us. And when you think about humility, if I asked you to choose between two options, think about this for, uh, as we start, if I asked you to choose between the option of humility or exaltation, which of the two are you most likely to choose if given the option, especially in advance? Think about your job. When it comes to your job, you're sitting down with your boss at some point. He says, I have a, I have a, I have a, you have a choice. What job do you, want? do you want? Do you want the humble job where no one takes notice? Or you have there's another job that's kind of a little bit more recognition and, and prestige. Which one do you choose? Humility or exaltation? Have you ever had in your either career or even just in your life outside of work, a position of power where people maybe are reporting to you, you have decision-making ability. How do you wield that power? Do you do so with humility? Think about it if you're a business owner, when it comes to your business, you know, do you want to be the humble business owner that no one knows about your business? <laughs> Which is not usually a good business plan, right? Or, or the one that has, you know, the more exalted owner with everyone knows about and honor and prestige and, and success. You think about money, we could choose a humble financial situation, which usually means there's never enough or you're always worrying about it. Or maybe an exalted financial situation where money's just not a concern ever. And, you know, you go visit a financial planner, they don't usually advise you on the humble path, right? Here's how to make sure that it's never, there's never enough. It's always, no, here's how to make sure that you can be financially secure, stable, where you don't have to worry about it. Think about relationships. In our relationships, we don't really want to be the humble one in the relationship, right? We're like, no, I don't want to be in that place where I'm getting, you know, getting walked on or, 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 or I'm never getting any credit or uh, I'm always getting blamed, right? No, we want some recognition. We want our status. We want our place. You see, the reality is that all of us are really wired against humility, all of us are. It's something we have in common. We are wired against it. It's part of our sin nature that we've talked about weeks before this. 
And we're kind of wired for exaltation. We, we like recognition. And yes, that even applies, you know, to, to introverts. Uh, there's introverts and extroverts. And, you know, introverts don't want the spotlight. But introverts and extroverts both have the fight, have to fight selfish desires. Does it just looks a little different for both. And you say, you, you might be listen, you know, out there listening and saying, okay, so what does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, Christmas is a story about humility. In fact, Christmas really is the greatest story of humility ever told. Ever. A lot of times you can use the word ever and never, and it can be, you know, hyperbolic. It could, it's not, it's not something that's, you know, you're just kind of using it for effect. But here it's true. The story of Christmas is the greatest story of humility. The story of humility being revealed to humanity, to all of us in human flesh. When Jesus was conceived, as we talked about last week, and born, God was made flesh. And again, we talked about that last week, but as you're going to see today, humility in human flesh was also displayed. In other words, what, what does humility look like? We see it in Jesus. Humility right before us in Christ. So you want to know what humility looks like? You look at the Christ child in the manger. You look at Jesus Christ, the man. And that is what we're going to do today. We're going to look and we're going to see what, this, what the scripture tells us about Jesus and humility. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak and to work in our hearts and in our minds. So would you do that with me? Lord God, we submit ourselves in this moment to you, to your will, to your purposes, what you want for us to hear today and to receive in our lives. Lord, I pray that even now, I just pray for a recognition of each and every person right now, that everything they have belongs to you, that every good thing they can say they've accomplished has come because of something you gave them. Life, breath, wisdom, intellect, personality, Help us, Lord, to recognize you and then help us to submit and to be humble before you. Help us to learn from this text. Holy Spirit, do the work that you only do and that is illuminate truth so that we can see it, so we don't miss it because the enemy would love for us to miss it. So help us in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. It was actually scrolling during communion. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. And this is the Apostle Paul writing here. And uh, I hope it's okay. Yes, it's Christmas. And, you know, I can, we, we can do a sermon series and just tell you, you know, uh, Christmas is about joy and be joyful. And, you know, and just talk about five ways that you can be more joyful. We're going to get a little theological today. Is that okay? Okay. Uh, so, uh, verse one, 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Wow. Just think about that. Or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, two themes that I want to bring out right, uh, right here in the beginning uh, in this passage, especially verses 6 through 11. Theme one is Christ humbled himself. We see that. And theme two is God exalted Christ, verses 9 through 11. So we see this theme of Christ humbling himself and then God exalting Christ. And these two themes are significant and they're further explained as we dig deeper. So let's look at the first instruction in verse 5. First instruction that we see to all believers here, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. So verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is instruction to us. This is instruction to believers. This is not just something to read about. This is not just narrative. This is not just a little story. This is something now that we are to do something with. All of us as believers have this mind, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. And, in, and, and Paul writes this in a way that he says, in fact, all believers can have this mindset because it's ours. Ours how? Well, it's part of the inheritance of being in Christ. It's yours in Christ. We get this mindset we just need to live it out. We need to accept it and we need to live it out. But there's something unique and very special about this mindset of Christ that Paul wants all believers to know and to understand. So what was so unique and special about the mindset of Christ? And he starts to break that down for us. And he says, even though he has the very nature of God himself, he did not do something. He did not use his divinity to his own advantage. Even though he, was the, he has the very nature of God himself, he did not use his divinity to his own advantage. Verse 6, though he was in the form of God, and that form uh, there is, is, is talking about his, his very nature, in, in his nature God, he did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The NIV says it this way, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Paul is telling us that even though Christ was God himself. 
with all the power and wisdom that goes along with it, with being God, he never used that power selfishly for his own gain. What did he do then? So what you see here is a contrast. Paul writes this in a way is, here's what he didn't do. He, he didn't use his divinity to his own advantage. Here's what he did do. Now we're going to look at what he did do. What did he do? He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. That's how the NIV says it. He made himself nothing. The ESV emptied himself. So what does Paul mean that he emptied himself? And this is where, again, we're going to get a little theological here, but that's okay. You're going to, you're, hopefully this is something you'll learn if you've not heard it and you'll take with you and it'll become part of your foundation of how you understand who Jesus is. I want to start by looking at the ways he emptied himself and then I'm going to go back in a little bit and talk about the what. We'll start with the ways first. This is more the how. Ways Christ emptied himself. First, he took the form of a servant. So what Paul is saying is, he emptied himself. Let me tell you how he did it. He took the form of a servant. And, and that form there is, is from, uh, from the word morphe, which, which has a, a, a meaning of it in, in, all of its, in all of its form. He, 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 he took this. And, and of a servant is doulos, which is, which is the word used for like a bond servant, like a slave. So this person who is in very nature God emptied himself. How? He took the form of a servant, of a bond slave. God himself, the very king of all kings, became a servant, a doulos, a bond slave, someone who had no rights. If you were a slave in the first century, you had no rights and you had no ownership. What you had came from your master. How does the king of all kings do that? So what we have here is a story of the king of the castle is now the lowliest bond slave in the castle he owns. And he's doing it willingly. But it's more, he's more, it's more than that. That's just, that's just one way. He, he goes on. He was born in the likeness of humanity. So he took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of humanity. Again, verse seven. And so this is, this is birth. So now that, for those of us who are, who are Christians, right? We hear that. We sing, oh, Christ's birth. Christmas. That's, that's what we should think, right? He was born. He came into the world like all of us. Last week, we made it clear. He was conceived differently, very differently, of God, of the Holy Spirit, but born, probably very similar birth to all of us in the likeness of humanity, just like all of us, because he was human. The word for likeness there in the Greek has a meaning of in every way that a person is human. He was human. He was, he was human like, like every other human. Don't think he was some sort of sci-fi clone, you know, where he, if, you, if you kind of, if you had the right, you know, if you had like a retina scanner, then it would show, 
that he was not really human. You know, like in all the movies, there's always a way that if you have the right light or you do the right thing or you say the right thing or, you, uh, or, or something happens, then you can tell it's not really human, right? Not, not, not in the case for Jesus. He was human. And we see that clarified third, he was found in human form. Again, verse eight, being found in human form. Again, it just means that Jesus looked like every other man. He didn't, he didn't walk down the street and was like floating above the ground. It's like, oh, he's different. I mean, he could, right? He walked on water, he had power and he showed it and he demonstrated it, but he never did it for his own advantage. What, right? He did it for the purposes of God. He did it to, to follow the leading of the spirit because as the God man walking on earth, he submitted himself to the father's will being, being, being really represented and demonstrated in and through the spirit of God. And he, and he followed that. So you didn't just see him walking down the street and goes, oh, he's God. I could tell. No, he, he looked like every other man. The child in the manger looked like every other child. He was like all other humans. His physical appearance is not what made him God. It was his nature that made him God. So follow me on this. If you look at the text... You'll see he has the form of God in verse 6. Then he has the form of a servant in verse 7. And then he has the form of a human in verse 8. These are, this is talking about the same person. It's, it's the God-man Christ Jesus. And so these are the ways that he emptied himself and showed humility. Now, I want to go back to what I mentioned earlier. What does it mean? Here's the what part. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Not just the, way, the ways or the how, which, which we just went over, but what, what does it mean that he emptied himself? This is a very uh, important theological point because you can, you can get this answer wrong and find yourself into heres- in heresy very quickly. Because you can't say he emptied himself to the point that he no longer was God. Once you go there, you're, you're, you're wrong and you're, you're in a new religion. A false one, by the way. Christ divested himself of divine position and prestige. And again, wording is very important here. Uh, This is what the ESV expository commentary says here. I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see. The pre-incarnate son of God divested himself of position and prestige, not by subtracting deity, not by subtracting deity, Can you memorize that? Like, remember that and never let anyone ever convince you otherwise? That's important. Not by subtracting deity, but by adding humanity. When we just went through the ways that he emptied himself in Philippians 2, what was it all that was happening? It was all adding humanity. There's something that you need to know as a Christian. You say I'm a Christian. I don't know, you know, I don't know how long each of you have been believers, but I know many of you, and for many of you, you've been a believer for a long time. So this is important. You will never understand the Christ child in the manger. You'll never understand the incarnate Christ 
if you do not first understand the pre-incarnate Christ of heaven and glory. So that song we sang, Prince of Heaven, might have been confusing to you. You might have been thinking, what is this about? Well, it's talking about the fact that before he came, he was this. And we need to understand that. So this passage, Philippians 2, it explains how the pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate means before he was God in the flesh. Incarnate, God in the flesh. So before he was God in the flesh, he was still God. God the Son of heaven and full of glory. The Prince of heaven. The King of glory. And so this passage, again, Philippians 2, it explains how the pre-incarnate Son of God, the King of glory, literally humiliated himself, how? By becoming, by adding to his divinity the form of humanity with all of humanity's limitations, except with no sin. And again, the sin nature that we talked about in the previous series that's connected. We learned this, right? We took a couple weeks to, to, to learn this. That sin nature came from Adam. Jesus doesn't have that problem because of what we talked about last week. His supernatural conception was of God. So now what do we have? What is, what is this child born in Bethlehem, well, we have a child, a person that is fully God in all that he is. In whatever way scripture makes clear that God is, Jesus, the Christ child, is God. But he's not just that. He's also fully human in all that it means to be human like us. He's not 50% human. He's not 50% God. He's not God sometimes, human sometimes, and he just goes back and forth. We need to understand this. This is, again, theological, but very, very important. Fully God, fully human. Make sense? Okay. Want to make sure you get that. How did, now we're going to continue on. How did Christ humble himself? Well, he first submitted in humility to the form of a servant, born in the likeness of humanity, found in human form. This is all talking about God himself becoming human flesh. But, it keep, but Paul takes us further than that in verse 8. He says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he first submitted in humility to the form of a servant born in the likeness of humanity, found in human form, and he humbled himself even to the point of death. But let's backtrack a few weeks for all of us. Not any death, right? We learned about this, right? Not any death. What kind of death? Death by crucifixion. That's important because it's the ultimate humiliation. 
There it is again. Humility. Everything about this man, this God-man, is humility. So now back, I want to go back to the Christmas story. When you read Luke 2, it says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When you read that word, born, don't just blow by it. Take in what that means. God became flesh. And we just read in Philippians 2, Christ's perspective of what that means. God's perspective of what that means. So Philippians 2 is God's perspective, heaven's perspective, Christ's perspective on the Christmas story. Luke 2 is the spectator's perspective, right? We're seeing what happened on earth. Philippians 2 is saying, well, this is really what happened behind the scenes that, that none of us really saw, but it happened, and I need to explain it to you as best I can. So Philippians 2 is not the shepherd's perspective. It's not the wise men. It's not Mary. It's not Joseph's. It's not our own. It's God's. It's an important perspective. Luke 2, the spectator. Philippians 2, the story of Christ's birth from the perspective of heaven. Imagine the angels in heaven whispering among themselves, did you hear that he is going to become one of them? Did you hear that? He's going to become one of them. Because heaven saw God the Son as the, as the king, the one with the highest honors of heaven. And now he's going to become a lowly human? This is what Philippians 2 is trying to help us understand. Then what did God do after Christ humbly submitted himself in this way. What did God do? God exalted Christ to the highest place. Right? What did he do? God exalted Christ to the highest place, the name above all names, the name that every knee is going to bow to, the name that the heavens, because the heavens already know this name, the earth They're learning this name. Everything under the earth submits to. Everyone submits to this name. This Christ child is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see that in verse 11 of Philippians 2. All of this was glorious to the Father God. 
this plan to send his son in this way for him to humble himself in this way. And you think about it as parents, right? We don't want that for our kids, right? We want to remove all the obstacles. We want them to succeed. We want them to have the best of all things. Everything about being a parent, right? I mean, I'm a parent. I understand what that is. Like we're always trying to remove things out of the way. Here's the father in heaven saying that It is to his glory that his son is humiliated and humbled in this way. This is something we don't understand. We think we understand humility, but we don't. We need to learn. Christ's voluntary humiliation led to the father's highest exaltation. The voluntary humiliation, but it led to the father saying, I'm going to give you the name that is above every name. And at your name, every one is going to bow. But now you're going to humble yourself. You're going to become human. You're going to submit. You're going to do so willingly because that is how they're going to be saved. So, an incredible story. Back now to the instruction to all believers uh, that we started with in 4 and 5 because it starts to help us understand better the instruction when we understand what all of this means, right? What is that instruction in verses 4 and 5? It is, have the mindset of humility like Jesus, be willing to be a servant, humble yourself in obedience, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ in humility because isn't that what Jesus said and isn't that what taking up the cross means, right? I'm going to die. Who are we dying to? Self. Self is the enemy of humility. Jesus was obedient even unto death, even a crucifixion death, the humiliating death. What an amazing story. What an amazing savior. I want to give you some final thoughts to consider here. The first one is this. True humility is demonstrated when individual earned rights and privileges are willingly laid aside for the greater glory of God. What does true humility really look like? It it, it looks like when, when you have a right and a privilege, you have every right, you have every privilege to demand something and you don't do it, but you don't do it for the glory of God the greater glory of God. I want to explain what I mean here. We have to comprehend this of uh, uh, something that's being strongly uh, implied in uh, Philippians 2, if you didn't get it, and that is that no one in human history, no one in human history has ever submitted himself from higher glory to lower depths than Jesus Christ. No one. I want you to think about that. Take that in. In all of human history, no one 
There is no story, there is no example, there is no person that has achieved more success, that had more riches and honor and privilege, and set it aside and then went to the lowest lows. No one has ever done that to the degree that Jesus did that. And that's the story of Christmas. That's our story. That's what we celebrate every year. As Christians, Christians, this is what it should be for us. This is our savior. This is humility made flesh. The birth of Christ as a baby in Bethlehem is the greatest story of humility. It's the story of the ruler of the universe laying aside power, prestige, and honor and taking on human flesh. So I want to ask you a question. What power, what influence, what opportunity has God given you? God's not against you having power. He's not against people having power, people having leadership, people having influence. He gives that. He gives gifts to people to be used in ways where they then will lead people. But he intends for that leadership to be done with what? Humility. So each one of you have been given that in some capacity. If you're in the home and you're a parent, you have it. If you're in the workplace and you have people reporting to you, you have it. If you're running a business, you have it there, right? There's so many places we have it. How do you use it? That's the question. Do you use it for the glory of God, whatever he's given you? Or do you use it for your own advantage? See the example of your savior. Approach power, approach leadership, approach influence with humility. And recognize that God is the one that gave it to you. Second point that I'd like for you to take time to think about is this. Remember, we are the ones that submit humbly. It is God that exalts. I started by telling you about Philippians 2, right? Two themes. Christ humbled himself. God exalted Christ. Let's be honest, each of us spend too much time exalting ourselves. And we need to understand God's design. And God's design is what? Submit in humility. God is the one who exalts. And he does so in his time according to his plan for his glory. So four simple words I want to put here on the screen for you to see. We submit, God exalts. Can you say that? You say those words at different times of your day, they're going to speak to you pretty loudly, right? I don't even know everything about your life. I don't need to. I just know that those four words are going to speak into your life very loudly. Did did it look like exaltation when Jesus was born in the manger in Bethlehem with animals? Did that look like exaltation? Didn't look like exaltation. What about his parents? You know, God chose Mary and Joseph. 
Did God choose the most wealthy, respected earthly parents who had power and prestige and a lot of things to give to the child? Nope, they had nothing. No, no exaltation there. Was his arrest exalting? Was his betrayal exalting? Was his torture, crucifixion? That didn't look like exaltation. What would Caiaphas say? What would Herod say? What would Pilate say about this Jesus? This great leader of men. You know, he was weak. He was worthless. He didn't accomplish hardly anything. We got rid of him. But what I want you to want to remind you of is what did God say? He said, therefore. Therefore what? It refers back to all the humility. Therefore, because you humbled yourself and you came as a human and you took on human flesh and you took the form of a servant and you were born in the likeness of men and you were born in the form of humanity and you emptied yourself and you were obedient to the calling, even to the point of death, and not just any death, but crucifixion death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's a lesson for each of us to spend less time exalting ourselves and more time submitting ourselves to God in humility. We submit God exalts. This passage reminds us that Christmas is not about getting everything we want. It's not about just warm, sentimental feelings. Christmas started with the Son of God in heaven submitting himself humbly, not for his own gain, but for ours. He came in humility and humiliation. So let me encourage you this Christmas, have this mindset among yourselves in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, to the glory of God. That's what he's calling us to. All of this is about doing these things for God's glory, not to look humble. Because that can be some of the worst false humility. But to simply humble ourselves before God and say, everything I have comes from you and I want to submit myself to your purpose and plans, whatever that looks like. Let's prepare ourselves to humbly come before our Lord and to worship him, to adore him, to worship Christ the Lord, this name that is above all names. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have given to us the greatest example of humility, what you gave up to become one of us, and then to see how we even respond to that in our lives, Lord, is humbling for us and sober. Help us, Lord, to take on this, uh, this exhortation 
to, to make it a reality in our own lives to have this mind of humility in Christ. Lord, we want to worship you for all that you are. We want to adore you. We want to do that and to do that in humility. That's why we bow. That's why we're not ashamed to, to in, in, even in our worship, to, to humble ourselves, even in, our, in, in the way that, that we come before you. We just humble ourselves before you because, because we don't want to have pride and try to look good in front of others at the expense of being obedient to you. So let us humbly come, even now as we sing of truths about you, let us humbly worship you as we should. Help us in Jesus' name, amen.